Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Breaking news, Leo Messi has quit Barcelona and signed for Real Madrid. Now, obviously, this hasn't happened at all, but just bottle that feeling for a second, and you'll have some idea what American sports fans have been going through this week, Murph and Ken, as they come to terms with the news that Kevin Durant, one of the biggest superstars in American sport, let alone the NBA, has elected not to sign a new contract with his team, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and instead has signed up with their hated rivals, the Golden State Warriors. This is going to go down... I presume very well with U.S. Murphy, we'll talk to today. Not so well with a lot of other people in the U.S. who feel that this it's is against a, the morals of sport. Slightly unfair stacking of talent on the the one side. Mm-hmm. This guy, maybe describe, give, give us his CV, Murph, his resume, as they would say over there. Okay, so he's <laughs> why am I why am I talking like that? He's won an NBA MVP award, so best player uh, of the season in uh, 2014. He's four times been the top scorer in the NBA. He's uh, won an NBA Rookie of the Year award and an Olympic gold medal. Uh, the man is a point-scoring machine. machine. The two teams played out this epic series in the NBA Finals just a couple of months back, which the Warriors eventually won to set up another epic series with LeBron's, LeBron James's Cleveland Cavaliers, which Golden State lost. Now, the, but maybe the only thing more shocking than the signing of Kevin Durant would have been if they somehow got their hands on LeBron James. But this is close enough. Uh, as I said, not everybody's happy. Mike Quirk, friend of the show, mm-hmm. Kerry, former Kerry footballer, noted basketballer with Tralee, said Kevin Durant going to the Warriors is nuts. Don't like it. NBA free agency is out of control. And this move hurts the game. Hashtag KD watch. Um, we haven't even, by the way, we haven't actually talked about the LeBron-inspired victory for the Cavaliers because of uh, schedule issue, scheduling issues and the Euros being on and all the rest of it. So there's a hell of a lot to get into with US Murph. I don't agree that... It, well, I don't know if it's bad for the game or not, but I don't agree that there's some sort of sense of it being unfair that the Warriors have signed this player. I mean, they have built up this incredible team that they have through just being a really well-run club, getting a great coach in, investing in players like Steph Curry, who people weren't saying was a world beater three years ago, was a talented guy. Clay Thompson as well was another talented player who they didn't necessarily... Can I just point out... Yeah. Hmm. 
that Owen is actually wearing a Golden State Warriors t-shirt. I right think that's now. the only reason. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anything unfair about this stock. Part of the time <laughs> Golden State Warriors. Says man wearing Golden State Warriors t-shirt. Uh, okay, I'll remember that the next time you talk about the <laughs> the, the uh, uh, Premier League football team who you support, who I won't mention on air, of course, because that I don't. Be, I mean, that's, that's you don't come in wearing oh. their jersey. Yeah, oh. well, I, I, I think that that's that's fair enough. I mean, you don't have to literally wear your heart on your sleeve. <laughs> yeah. You do when it's laundry day, Murph. You do when it's laundry day. But do you think it's unfair? I'm open to. Well, no. It's. I mean, it's not. I mean, they 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 can afford it. Uh, they're not breaking any rules. Well, bad for so, the league. Bad I mean, well, you're teams? getting into like a moral argument. Then I mean, like it's bad for Kilkenny to keep winning All Ireland hurling titles. But I mean, you can't very well hold that against Kilkenny. You know, even I know people do. All even the time. do all the time. <laughs> and you know, like they they don't even have the recourse to buying other players. All they do is just keep winning. When was the last time the Golden State Warriors won the? Title. Season before last. Season before last. They were this time. 4-3 in the NBA Finals this time. So, so I mean, you know. yeah, it's not like it's they a dynasty. Done, yeah. that, like they've won the last six times. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really see the argument, to be honest. I mean, I mean, this is an argument that the majority, it seems, of American sports press are making. Like, uh, you know, there's so many people have come out to say that it's just not right. It's just not, you know... A, What's going to happen next year? I mean, what's going to happen next year is that one team is going to win the NBA Finals and there's a very good chance that it's going to be the Golden State Warriors, but it's not a certainty. Mm. And that's pretty much where we were this time last year. I suppose the thing with NBA team, basketball teams in particular, is that that team falls apart now. OKC could easily have won the whole thing this year and just about failed to get over the line in essentially the semi-final. Uh, as far as I know, I haven't actually looked at any updates on Russell Westbrook, their other star, but there was talk that he's going to go as well. The whole thing just falls apart entirely, which leaves, by definition, leaves one less team for the Warriors to be competing with. And we'll get into it with Brian, but Durant himself on at least one occasion in the past has criticised others for making these kind of moves. It's kind of like, why is everybody going and joining the Miami Heat? We're supposed to be mm. fighting against these guys. You know, we're supposed to be putting it up and competing with, with these kind of guys. So I imagine he's not too popular in um Yeah, well, I, mean, it, well I mean, obviously he's not going to be popular there, but I mean, you know, they're going to have to get over it. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they, it's not Oklahoma City fans coming out saying this is a disastrous move. It's way more people than that. Yeah. And that's what I think is interesting. You know, obviously, it's a different situation to... Uh, well, the Messi joining Real Madrid angle is w- would just about sum it up. I mean, in basketball, there are five players. So you take out one-fifth of, you know, the, the one-fifth of your team. That's obviously going to have a huge material impact on how good or bad your team's going to be. But it's kind of Oklahoma City's business. You know, it was, it was a monetary decision. I mean, Durant has said that it's not just a monetary decision, but Oklahoma, it's Oklahoma's business now to try and make the best of this trade deal and and rebuild a team. I mean, that's the that whole idea of it. Takes I mean, a long time, though. It's a bit more like um, Bayern Munich, isn't it? There's a touch of Bayern Munich about it. What in terms of trying to crush the opponents by yeah. buying their best player? That, that, <laughs> yeah, that um, it's not just about strengthening your own team; it's about weakening. If Durant doesn't play, Bayern don't 10 have any games next year. Yeah. It, it still gives them a better chance of winning the NBA because yeah. uh, Oklahoma yeah. considerably yeah, but worse. Bayern yeah. are how many times richer than Borussia Dortmund? I don't know the stat but like, twice as rich no uh, more like f- three three times as rich whereas the NBA teams are all well, I was about to say only allowed to spend the same amount of money that's not exactly true but there are salary caps in place and I, actually you know which are supposed to make things like this harder to pull off we'll uh, I'll ask I keep saying we're going to get into it with Brian so we'll get into the rest of this with Brian because I know he's going to have a hell of a lot to say about it and it's just been too long I've, I've, I've I always feel energized when I talk to you. I'm not talking to him. 
for quite a while. We've got a we're going to talk Wimbledon later as well on this show. After the epic quarterfinals yesterday, we were on the edge of our seats, Murph, in the it office. Was. It was bloody watching good sport. Federer yesterday. and Murray. Yeah, well, Federer in particular, Murray was was mostly going on. I recorded uh, today at Wimbledon on BBC and went to watch it. Then this morning, I thought I'll get my research in early. Mm-hmm. Early doors. I went to watch it, and the first thing they said was, "Due to Andy Murray's match going longer than expected, uh, that that continues on BBC One." Here on BBC Two, Celebrity MasterChef. So I was a little bit disappointed with that. But who's on Celebrity MasterChef? Didn't I just? I you fast, didn't watch it. I fast forward through in case they switched halfway through, but they, that, that's that's unlikely to happen. You couldn't even see in the fast forward any celebrities that you could bring to us now. No, no, it's all. Uh, it's going to be Murray and Federer in the final. If they both come through the semi-finals, Djokovic is gone. There's no Nadal. This is the chance for one of them to win another major. What would be a pretty big, pretty uh, popular one? I'd corner. say yeah. for either of them. Yeah, I mean, it's it is uh, a continuing source of. Well, it's not wonder, I suppose, but the amount of support there is out there for Roger Federer, <laughs> it is kind of crazy. I mean, the guy, you know, the guy has won, obviously, so much. At some stage, you know, you kind of think, right, well, do you know, you know, Marin Cilic, he's, he's had a solid career, but why don't we want Marin Cilic to win at Wimbledon? But, I mean, there's literally not one... I, I, I felt, actually, in the fifth set, that after a while... Towards the end, Chilich was like, okay, if everyone in the world <laughs> wants me to lose this game, I suppose I can just lose this game. Yeah, except just me easier and my for coach, me. Goran Ivanisevic, is going mental up yeah, there. Yeah, just Goran and me are the only two people in the world who want me to win this game. So, you know, may, after, when you feel that amount of, of pressure, maybe it's, just, maybe it's just easier to say, right, Federer, go on, win your, like, 300th career title. Maybe. Not unlike Ken's analysis of the Ireland-France game, when you felt that there's a certain comfort in... Doing what you're eventually losing to, do. to the big name and mm. and just and just going back to being happy to to, to be out there. I don't know just, if Chittish did do that, but it can happen. You know, to everything there is a season. Wales to a certain extent last night as well. Yeah, you know, Wales even getting a bit of a nosebleed now that they're still out of the tournament. Nose still bleeding, bleeding with happiness, obviously, but still experiencing a bit of a nosebleed to have been eliminated at the semi-final stage. So is Joe Ledley actually going to get married this Saturday or what? No, did, he, was, did he just cancel it? He cancelled that, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, at this stage, surely it's dead money anyway. So you just say, right, there's a chance I'm getting married on Saturday. You know? Well, I mean, a... I'm sure Joe Ledley's got the... Oh, Joe Ledley. I mean, how much money has Joe Ledley got? I, 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 I would don't say, know. Kirk. I would say that there is, that there is a, a fair amount of peer pressure, let's say. Who was the other amongst player? Amongst footballers. There was another player who was supposed to be best man at his brother's wedding in Mexico. Is that Chris Gunter? I think it was Chris Gunter, yeah. So he was planning to Skype a best man speech in there. Just hope the connection holds up. You know, no, gonna, sure, well, the guys aren't really going to land if he's going to make it. No, now, I think sure. that was this weekend. I think that was. I think that's been on. What's he doing? Or, it's only this, this week? Thursday. It's an open tour, open top uh, bus tour today. Get on a flight. You're mm-hmm. in Mexico on Saturday. No problems. Mm-hmm. Also, I would say Joe Ledley just get married. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the point? You know, I mean, uh, I, I, if he's cancelled the wedding, that's ridiculous. The fact that he fixed it in the first place, ridiculous. The fact that he cancelled on the chance that they might win a semi final, also ridiculous in my book. On. So I'll be interested to hear the, the, the coda to that. We do a lot of reflecting on Portugal's win over Wales in our Euros podcast, which is out now. But I want to take you back to yesterday morning, pre-game, when the Welsh around the world still had hope in their hearts. One of those proud and hopeful Welsh people was Keris Matthews from Catatonia. Remember the, the great Catatonia? Yep. Titans of the music scene for a, a certain number of years. She made an appearance on the Good Morning Ulster show on BBC Radio Ulster, along with her own Ken Early. So you get the idea. Football journalist on one line. Famous person from the country playing that night on the other. Let's hear how it went. Well, Ken Early, what do you think? Can the underdog triumph tonight? 
Well, well you know, Wales. everyone obviously, you know, the press love a little bit of Brian. Ah, yeah. So I'm sure it was just a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding. Yeah, uh, Karis went on for a couple of minutes there, uh, talking passionately and, and knowledgeably on all things Welsh football. But yeah, that, that won't happen again, will it? Karis, we actually have a football writer on. We hardly need him with your expert analysis <laughs> of the team. But let me bring Ken in here. Uh, so, Ken, uh, uh, underdog could be the day of the underdog, the night of the underdog again. I don't it's know. Karis, 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 Karis. I want to bring Ken early in here, know, please. Cool it. Good save, Ken. You're trying to Good save this situation. I mean, you don't want to. You don't want. Karis Matthews to be made a fool of there. Well, no, Karis, Karis and Ken are kind of similar in, I mean, the, the end of the world is different, but the beginning and middle of the world is, word is mm. similar. Yeah. Right? I mean, he did, the presenter in question did say, we have a football journalist Noel, on the line. Noel Thompson. Uh, Noel did make that quite he clear. He was very authoritative, very authoritative. So I'm sure Karis won't put in on Ken again no, after that. Nah, Portugal are missing. You know, a player as well, Willie mm. Carvalho. So, some, some. And if you've been reading the English press, you <laughs> yeah. If you've been you reading the English press, Ken, and off goes Karis at another pissed two off about the English press. Was she? Oh, bloody right. She but was. What was why? What were the English press saying? They weren't bad mouthing Wales, were they? Uh, no, but it was all. They were kind of talking about it all in terms of England. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, some of our players are, some of the Welsh players are born in England. Oh, and also, yeah. Wales doing well makes England look bad. How bad do England look now? You know, but it was kind of like, well, this has got nothing to do with England, actually. Bog off, England. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let Wales enjoy the moment. Maybe she kept putting, uh, cutting across you because she had you mixed up. You do sound very like the bet noir of all Welsh sports fans, Ken Birdie. Yeah, She maybe. might have thought she was on with Ken Birdie. She I think she heard she's, going to, she's on with Ken Early, Ken Birdie, whoever it is. Whichever one of these it is, I'm, I'm going to have to get in here, stamp my authority on this Ken Character. character. And just take it from it's there. Good stuff. I mean, who who else is on your list of nineteen uh, nineties pop stars that you're going to get bullied by on air? Jarvis Cocker, James Dean Bradfield, Brett Anderson from uh, Suede. <laughs> Ken, how come you haven't been? Ken, in if there? I could just get in there, uh, Brett, Brett, Brett. It is Let Brett Ken speak. Anderson, isn't it? I mean, I haven't been a fool of myself. Really. You know guy He's not Welsh, though, is he? No, no I think no, Mark's gone I mean, off Wales. No, you can just anyone. Done. I mean, why haven't you been in on air spat with Brett Anderson yet, Ken? That's my question to you. What have you been Is doing he a sports with your guy? dad? Life? We don't know. <laughs> Would it matter at this stage? You know, um, anyone else? Uh, no, I, uh, I, I, I like all the '90s pop stars. I yeah. can't think of one I don't, I don't like. I remember them fondly. You've never met a '90s pop star you didn't like? <laughs> well, actually, that's I tell a lie. I met your man. Uh, what's his name? Hardaway from Primal Scream. Oh. Um, God, what's his pretty Bobby Gillespie? Bobby Gillespie, yeah. yeah, Bobby Gillespie. I met him at the uh, Simon. Uh, the what you call it? Uh, it uh, was the red, yep. probably the red box at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, maybe it was. Uh, maybe it had become. It was one of its later iterations. Yeah. yeah what was the? What was it for a while? Like two thousand chocolate five six something seven. Was it the chocolate bar or something like that? The button factory. No, no that's a different place. Uh, <laughs> I met him, and I didn't. I, I didn't get on with him at all, actually. He no? Was, no, he was... Not he great. Was, he, he, what happened? It, it looked as though he'd had a, quite a long night at the time. Sure. Maybe he was I mean, just... He wasn't on, often do. He wasn't on top form. Nice for Bobby Gillespie to let the hair down once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I, he's usually so uptight. Yeah. But apart from him... What did he... What happened? I can, actually, uh, I was thinking about it. I can't reason. really say. <laughs> oh, okay. No if you can't say, you can, you can't say, you can't say but you can relive your much more positive experience with Hathaway. You're at 2008. Well, he was in great form. Yeah, he just, you interviewed him post-gig... On the dance floor, you and asked, asked him, him what's, what's next? For what's Hathaway? next for you? What's next for Hathaway? Were your exact words? Yeah, 
possibly the high point of your... Well, he said he was working on a track with Dr. Alvin. Alvin Dr. Alvin, it's called Love in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know if he meant love in the 90s or loving the 90s. Loving the 90s, yeah. Um, he just uh, had to pay a large fine to the German tax police for trying to smuggle a brick of like 40,000 euros through Munich Airport. And it's not Hadaway now. Hadaway, yeah. Had. Yeah, he had, yeah. Oh. But he was telling me, but he was, he was totally open about this. I mean, he actually produced the documentation from the, from the German tax authority to show that he'd had to pay this fine because <laughs> the metal detector had discovered the block of euros yeah. that he'd been given after performing at a birthday party for the daughter of Oleg Deripaska, the Russian oligarch. He had been to he had been to all these places in the former Soviet Union. Mm. Why are we say, only called the former Soviet Union in this kind of context? Mm. But he had been to some of the stands, and he'd definitely been in Kaliningrad, which, to be fair, is Russia mm. now, performing uh, in places where apparently he still can coin it. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, he'll know better the next time he's through Munich Airport. But if if he <laughs> he showed me the boarding passes and the tax invoices. <laughs> He really wanted me to believe the story. I mean, I did believe it. I, I could see the documents. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see exactly where he'd been. You've led such an interesting life, Ken. Two apartments in Innsbruck, how do I? <laughs> so, uh, you know. God, that's showing off nearly, isn't it? It is. Surely it? one apartment in Innsbruck is not... Whichever end of town. I mean, it's a walkable town, but like whichever end of town he ends up in, he, he just stays in the apartment, which is closer. Just keep bring, bring both sets of keys. We'll meet up with an old friend. Let's do it. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. We're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, long time no talk. Boys, what happened since <laughs> the, I last talked to you? Well, the Euros happened and a lot of other things. I think you might have even got a few days vacation, so it's, it's been a while. Where, where the hell do we start, man? <laughs> uh, and I apologize. I know we were primed for a great wrap-up of the NBA Finals, but uh, schedules betrayed us, and I was uh, on the road, so mm. I know a few of our Twitter followers were saying, "Where, where's the chat? Where's the chat? But we're here. Post Fourth of July, post Kevin Durant, post LeBron, post Ireland, France, <laughs> post everything. My lord. It all happened, guys. It all happened. Let's start with Kevin Durant. That's this week's news. And I, and we'll work our way back. We'll work there. our way back. We'll work <laughs> our way back. We'll we'll take you back to the dark times of about a month ago. But uh, so this is what what we hear in Europe, or what's left of Europe, Brian, since we last talked. Uh, <laughs> this is what we call big transfer news. Big transfer news. It's actually insanely massive transfer news. I saw it being compared to if Leo Messi had decided to leave Barcelona and go join Real Madrid. I guess that would be a pretty good analogy, wouldn't it? Uh, because we're talking about easily the biz- biggest NBA free agent move, and you could argue the biggest Major League Baseball, uh, pardon me, the biggest any sport move. It includes Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, any American sporting transfer, as you call it, or what we call free agent signing. Uh, this would have to be the biggest since the very famous, the very, very famous LeBron James, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. <laughs> TV show and decision, even bigger than when LeBron went back to Cleveland 
uh, a couple of years ago because I think that one was sort of telegraphed out and, and there was a thought he would do it. Now, make no mistake, that was a huge deal. And Sports Illustrated had the big scoop and everything. I'm going home and all that. For some reason, this feels bigger for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's Kevin Durant's first move and LeBron had already made a move. So him going back to Cleveland was two moves. And two, the very, very unique nature of what's happened here, which is that a two keen rivals, as rivalry as it gets in the Western Conference right now, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Golden State Warriors, who played one of the epic seven-game Western Conference finals. We talked about how they would make you know, uh, documentaries about that Western Conference finals because the Warriors were trying to preserve their 73-win season. And Durant and Westbrook, Kevin Durant and his teammate Russell Westbrook, who's also a sensational top 10 NBA player, top five, some would say, first team All-NBA, uh, were trying to steal this away from Steph Curry and the Warriors and had that 3-1 to one lead on them and then collapsed as the Warriors surged back for that historic comeback, leaving Oklahoma City just so tattered and torn and, and heartbroken that they were that close to delivering the first championship for Oklahoma City, which it's the only game in town there's no football team there's no baseball team there's no soccer team there's nothing and what Kevin Durant means to Oklahoma City and all that for them to now lose Kevin Durant to the Warriors is the thing that I think is blowing everybody's mind because LeBron James when he left Cleveland or pardon me uh yes when he left Cleveland for Miami the Cavs and the Heat did not have a ferocious history of a seven game you know tooth and nail uh, historic type of series like the Warriors and the Cavs or the Warriors and the Thunder had just had. So people are trying to process what kind of move this means. What does it say about Kevin Durant that he would not stay in Oklahoma City to fight it out one more year with Russell Westbrook? And what does it mean for him to join this team that is already established as, you know, the elite of the elite? Uh, NBA champ in 2015, uh, one minute away from an, a back to back champ in 2016, 73 wins, and him now joining a cast of stars, three. Uh, NBA All-Stars in Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green. So much parsing, much thinking. And the crazy thing is, guys, this is only a couple of days old. It happened on the 4th of July morning, Monday morning. He announced it via this website called the Players' Tribune, which I'm sure you guys m- might be familiar with Yeah, we've, now t- because, we've talked a bit about that. It's yeah. trying to put us all out of a job, Brian. It's essentially yeah, run right, by know, sports seriously. people for sports people and sports fans. Uh, no, the worst part is, too, it's all founded by Derek Jeter, who you know? Who basically founded it by saying, like, "Yeah, man, I want to give the athletes their own voice and and not be filtered through the media." And we were like, as a, as a country, we were like, palms up, like, "What?" Like the media didn't fillet Derek Jeter during his entire playing <laughs> career. Oh my lord, no guy got a freer pass than Derek Jeter got his entire time. It's like, oh yeah, you were so wronged. You had to go form this website, dude. You were made into a deity by the media. So that was kind of ironic that he was like, maybe it's like Barry Bonds started the Players' Tribune, you could understand, or Alex Rodriguez, some guy who had a constant war with the media. Derek Jeter was the biggest media sweetheart for 20 years. And then he's like, yeah, man, we need our own voice. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You got some stones on you, dude. But anyway, nevertheless, it is uh, moderately successful. I don't think people go to it every day, but I do think that Big announcements are being made. And I was getting to the point of saying that we were very eagerly anticipating Kevin Durant's sit-down press conference, which can't happen until this quote-unquote moratorium on transactions uh, expires on Thursday. And then I don't know if the press conference will be Friday or early next week, but it'll be very interesting to hear him talk because he can be a very thoughtful and eloquent young man. And, and if he chooses to share all his thoughts, it'll be fascinating to hear 
just what went into him deciding to leave one incredibly powerful team for another incredibly powerful team that had just had a ridiculously competitive series with each other. So that is what is intriguing everybody over here. Uh, so he tweeted in uh, 2010, now everybody want to go play for the Heat and the Lakers? Let's go back to being competitive and going at these people, uh, which has been thrown at him a little bit. Uh, there has been quite a bit of uh, blowback about this idea that uh, it's, you know, stars being hoarded by one or two teams. Charles Barkley, Murph. Yeah. Charles Barkley. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I don't really care about Charles. <laughs> Everything I've heard Charles Barkley say, I've disagreed you with. You actually are not a, you're not a big Barkley man, yeah. that's true. Uh, but well, I'm the- going to ask you, Brian, is there even yeah. one tiny, small particle of US Murph that thinks this is a bad idea? Um, good question. And I, it's a hard question for me to answer because I am such a Warriors fan, but I should probably take that hat off and look at it from a perspective of a non-Warrior fan and what does it mean for sports across America and listen to my fellow commentators and opiners who think it is weak to, to leave a place like Oklahoma City and where they could have been a great team going at the Warriors again this year with a year under their belt and and created this great rivalry is it mm, i'm going to answer i'll go ahead and, and i will grant you that i understand there is a small particle of us murph that does understand what people are saying in the sense of if you're a true competitor we had our buddy howard bryan on from espn this morning on our show he's great and he was saying you know for me as a competitor if i get if i get my butt beat by you know one point in game 7 all i want to do is go back and beat those guys the very next year and that's, you know, that, that's the essence of competition. Your first thought isn't, okay, I'm going to go join those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a, that, that's definitely something that is, is worth to be debated. Now, of course, it's his own, it's, he's a free agent, as we say. You can do whatever the heck you want. He can make his own decisions. But as sports fans and sports historians, can it be judged as mildly? Can you understand why somebody would criticize him? Yes, I can understand why somebody would criticize him because it does have the appearance of him kind of giving up on the jousting at the windmill with the Oklahoma City Thunder and bringing a championship to that city where he had been so ingrained in that culture down there in Oklahoma that, guys, he had just been inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, not the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, the youngest man or woman ever to be inducted into the state hall of fame now state hall of fames are kind of weird it's not like we have one in california that we pay a lot of attention to but i guess in oklahoma they do and he was enshrined alongside i think it's gene autry or roy rogers one of those cowboys movie star cowboys these great oklahomans will rogers the legendary american newspaper columnist of the first half of the 20th century who was considered to be one of the great newspaper columnists this country's ever produced with his homespun wisdom of oklahoma etc i never met a man i didn't like, et cetera, et cetera. All these things that uh, that are so significant and historic in Oklahoma, Kevin Durant was seen as a part of that. So for him to walk away from that when he could have, he could have easily just gone back for one more year because there was an option or there was a scenario or a path where he could have said, yes, I'm going to re-up with Oklahoma City for another year. Let's go for this one more year. And then he could have made a, his free agency leap at that point. So it is interesting that he chose to forego that one-year option with Oklahoma City, which, by the way, would have given him more money than what he's getting in California and, and with the Golden State Warriors because you're allowed to as a team. This goes back to something called the Larry Bird rights. The NBA instituted a system 
where you can kind of cheat the salary cap a little to keep a hometown star for the good of the league, for the good of the market, for the good of the fan base, that you don't always lose a player that you can, uh, this is uh, designed to keep Larry Bird in Boston for the good of the team. So that said, uh, granting you that small particle that I understand the criticism and I can see in a logical courtroom that it's valid in some ways, that said, the idea of him joining this super team is also in line with sports history in the NBA. Because if you look at it, the NBA has forever been dominated by super teams. If you go all the way back to Bill Russell and the Boston Celtics in the 60s, they had every star in the book. And then you get into, of course, the 80s with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic and James Worthy, and they went head-to-head with Bird and McHale and Parrish and those guys, just like these guys presumably would go head-to-head with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Kevin Love. And then, of course, on into the 90s with Jordan and the Bulls, and then on into the early 00s when Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant joined forces to form a super team, and then on into the 2010s when LeBron James and Chris Bosh uh, orchestrated their plan to join Dwayne Wayne in Miami. So while the criticism is is understandable, it also can be rebutted by history, which is that he's just kind of doing what a lot of other teams in, in history have done, which is join forces, be the super team, be the dynasty. And you can make a convincing argument as a sports fan that sports is more fun when there is a big bad out there, when there is a monster, when there is a dynasty, whether it's the Yankees in baseball in the 50s or UCLA's basketball with John Wooden or whether it's Wayne Gretzky's Oilers in hockey, whatever. You know, that team that everybody loves to hate or love, that team that moves the needle when they come into town, that team. Now, granted, that renders like 25 other markets kind of irrelevant, (laughs) but... I think for the most part, people enjoy the 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 monster out there, the villain out there. We all love to hate the Miami Heat. And now, kind of incredibly, I think a lot of people are going to learn to hate my beloved Golden State Warriors. And not so beloved anymore. How did the Warriors make this happen, Brian? You you touched on the salary cap there. I, I thought the, the one of the strange anomalies, anomalies of top-level sport in the U.S. was that for all the rampant capitalism in the country and, you know, the survival of the fittest, this kind of outlook, there's a strangely sort of um, equitable socialist. and socialist kind of uh, agreements among the teams that nobody should ever get too big for their boots and nobody should, should, that the richest shouldn't just be able to pay all the big money. So there is a salary cap in place, which leads me to the question, who's, who's taking a pay cut here? Is uh, Clay Thompson working pro bono next year? <laughs> well, a couple of things. First of all, you're right. It is very odd that the the capitalist of capitalist countries, America, has this socialist system in the NFL. And it's funny that the most American of sports, American football, is the one that instituted it. And they're bragging always that the Green Bay Packers, this little town in Wisconsin of you know 150,000 people or whatever, can compete with the New York Giants, the biggest city in America, the New York City Giants. That's what they always brag about, which is kind of funny because usually in America, you're just supposed to go to the to the big, the biggest, the baddest, and the richest. Go ask Donald Trump, right? So, uh, you know, it's funny that it is brought up that way. That said, the Warriors are the beneficiaries of a couple of things here. One, the number one thing is the incredible rise in the salary cap. The, there's a new TV deal that kicks in, and every team's salary cap just went up dramatically, up to $94 million, creating a vast amount of space where the Warriors could keep or could sign a guy like Kevin Durant, which is incredible. And, in fact, it, one of the lesser stories this week other than Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma City for Golden State, is the insane amount of money that very, very, very average NBA players are making. The the highlight being this kind of big stiff from the Cleveland Cavaliers named Timofey Mozgov, a Russian, just signed a four-year, $65 million U.S. dollar deal 
that's incredible money. That's sixteen million a year to play for the Lakers. I mean, this guy is not a sixteen million dollar <laughs> player. He's not a six million dollar player. I mean, so they basically just have so much money they don't even know what to do with. First of all, so that's answer number one. And answer number two kind of links to that, and that is that Mozgov's sixteen million is more than, wait for it, Stephen Curry's twelve right. million per year, and that's right. the other key to this whole deal, is that the Warriors got Stephen Curry three years ago on an incredibly below market deal because they had leverage. He was coming off a series of ankle injuries and ankle surgeries that placed his career future in doubt and in question. And the question was, should the Warriors even try to sign Steph Curry to a long-term deal? Because his ankles are going to give out. They're going to give out. It's, it's placing your bet on the wrong horse. So if they did sign him, would they sign him to a, fan, a team-friendly deal? And they did. I, I forget the exact deal. I think it's five years, 70 mil, something like that. He will come up, though, at the end of next year. And he will get his money. And there is room for it now because of the new cap. So they had Steph Curry at a cheap deal. They have new TV money. And then the other answer is they had to get rid of a couple of big-name guys. Andrew Bogut, their big center from Australia, they traded him to Dallas, and they signed a replacement named Zaza Pachulia, funny name, guy from Eastern Europe, who actually took a really low-rent deal to be essentially the same player Andrew Bogut is. And then, of course, they had to renounce the young Harrison Barnes, who was part of their death lineup, their famous death lineup that they loved to trot out when they would go small and run teams relentless and be able to defend all the positions, the quote-unquote revolutionary lineup well, poor Harrison Barnes, who's a young player, very talented. He had one of the most nightmarish NBA Finals finishes you can ever remember. Time after time after time, guys, down the stretch when they collapsed against Cleveland. Cleveland played it so that they gave Harrison Barnes wide open shots. And he went five makes for 32 attempts in the final three games. A number that Warriors fans will never, ever, ever forget because all he had to do was even go 10 for 32, which would have been <laughs> atrocious. And the Warriors would have had another parade and they would have been back to back champs and they probably wouldn't even have Kevin Durant. So Harrison Barnes off to Dallas, Andrew Bogut off to Dallas. They had to renounce the rights to a, a center named Festus Azili. So they had to part ways with three players. They had to get some players in on minimum deals. They ex- got, used the new salary cap money, and they're still enjoying the benefits of Steph's contract. And presto, change Kevin Durant is a warrior. Murph, I'll tell you one person who I think secretly will be even more delighted than you, S. Murph, here about this Kevin Durant Go on. move. Kevin Durant's uh, agent. He'll be happy, yeah. Kevin Durant, whoever relies on Kevin Durant for upbringing and so forth. I'm sure sure the kids will be happy if he has any. But no, the... um well, the king of the NBA, LeBron James. I put it to you, U.S. Murph, that LeBron James was finished, right? And you can maybe tell us what exactly he did to destroy the Golden State Warriors uh, to come back from 3-1 down and win those finals 4-3. He's finished doing that. He's bawling, crying in interviews afterwards how much he loves his hometown of Cleveland, how he was finally able to bring it back home and achieve his, essentially, top off his life's work. After that, I, I, what's a man to do, really? That's, that's the end of it. He's probably got to be considering retiring, I would have thought, or just playing out his days quietly. He was very good in train wreck. Oh, I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> then, His exit was already uh, pretty well strategized, I thought. He's as shocked, I'm sure, as everybody else when he hears, Kevin Durant has gone to the bloody Golden State Warriors. Oh, man, I'm going to kick the you-know-what out of these guys next year. That's a great point. We've revived the old man. We've awoken the – what's that old line? Yamamoto. I think we talked about it, right? The, um, the, in World War II, when, uh, when Pearl Harbor happened, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, the, the General Yamamoto said, I fear we have awoken a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve. 
And uh, that was what <laughs> happened to the damn LeBron James Cavs when we were Warriors were up three games to one. He was suddenly filled with a terrible resolve. We can also talk all day, and I know we didn't have the podcast while you guys were doing Euro 2016, but the Draymond Green suspension will live forever in infamy to keep our to keep my Pearl Harbor analogies alive. A date which shall live in infamy mm-hmm. is the date the NBA ruled that Draymond Green had to be suspended for Game 5 because it was over. The Warriors were up three games to one, and it was over. Coming back to Oakland, it was over, boys! And then Draymond Green, they looked at the film of him flicking his hand right near LeBron James's groin area, and they deemed it a flagrant foul, and that put him over the limit of flagrant fouls over, and yeah, suspended I would say, him. Also, yes. Brian, over the limit of... Um, groin of groin interactions. He was kicking people in the groin. He was flicking them in the groin. Ultimately, you're going to pay for that at a professional level. I would they call it the, in in our baseball clubhouses. They call it a turkey tap when you reach down and give it a couple of bap bap <laughs> down there. I know they actually have a name for the damn thing in baseball. It shows you how bored baseball players are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Games are. <laughs> a lot of long flights and train journeys. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. They just sit around dugouts for hours on end, just tapping each other's turkeys. You know, and that's what they do. But anyway, they, that's what they called uh, the Draymond Green suspension will live forever. And in fact, we had a one of our great writers on Mark Spears said, "Man, one day when they do the documentary on this three-one comeback by Cleveland, you guys won't believe the the whole that day at NBA offices when they decided to suspend." Draymond Green is, is, is all that went into it. Cleveland p- politicking and advocating for a two-game suspension. The Warriors saying it shouldn't even be a flagrant foul. All sorts of things that went on. But when Draymond was suspended, and this is where LeBron gets all the credit, he and Kyrie Irving came into Oakland and saw their opportunity. They said and he put on one of the – I happened to be at that game, game five. It's one of the great performances you ever want to see. He and Kyrie Irving both went for over 40 points in that game. It was in stinking credible and you had to stand back in awe and note that they had just done something that nobody thought they could do which was stay alive down 3-1 and in fact you guys know no team had ever come back from a 3-1 deficit in NBA Finals history we had talked about the Warriors doing it to the Thunder in the conference finals for the first time since 81 well at least it had happened before in the NBA Finals generally the pressure is so big and the spotlight is so large and teams that go up 3-1 are so filled with momentum that there's no way they don't win one of the next three and sure enough, LeBron and Kyrie made sure that they had Game 6 back in Cleveland. Now, another stat there, guys. It used to be in the NBA Finals. The first two games were at, at the home team. The next three games at the away team. And then the final two games would be at the home team, Game 6 and 7, which is a lot of the reason why no team ever blew a 3-1 deficit because they would have Game 6 and 7 at home. But they changed it. The NBA thought it would be more equitable to go two games at home, two games at the lower seed, and then 1-1-1 which gives a game six back to the lower seed, which meant Cleveland had game six in Cleveland. They were just so crazy that game. There was no way the Warriors were going to compete in that game, and Draymond was oddly sheepish. All that said, we, we realized that, okay, you still have game seven at home, and the Warriors are going to win, and Draymond's back, and that game will will never, ever leave our craws, ever leave our minds. And it was as well fought and as co- hotly contested and competitive as you can imagine. But two things will stand out. Three things will stand out. At 89-89, with four and a half minutes to go, the Warriors scored zero points in the final four minutes and 39 seconds. That's a team that scored over, you know, the highest scoring team you ever want to see. The Splash Brothers, the greatest shooting backcourt in history, scored zero points in the final 439. Kyrie Irving is the guy who hit the shot. We all thought Steph Curry would. The contested three with under a minute to go. It was an incredible shot to make it 92-89. And then, of course... What you asked about, LeBron James, the block. Mm. 
when he accelerated from half court on the one bucket the Warriors were going to put down in a minute to go, Andre Iguodala on a fast break, never imagined that LeBron James would run like a flipping cougar. Insane, insane. A cheetah, a panther, and pin that ball against the backboard. And that was the terrible resolve. That was a guy who wanted it more than anybody on the court. It was one of the guys, Steven Jackson, the former Warrior, said, he said, the best player in the world finally played bad. Mm-hmm. And he did. Mm-hmm. And it, it, was a, it was a sight to behold. And you had to give him all the credit in the world. You couldn't dog him. You couldn't knock him anymore. He finally fulfilled his potential to the nth degree, bringing Cleveland that title. Now, all that said, their glow lasted two weeks. And now the Warriors have stolen the headlines back with the Durant signing. So... How does this affect LeBron? Well, I'm sure it just fills that gas tank all oh, yeah. over again. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the only thing he did, guys, we always look to his social media posts. It, it, oddly, on the Monday, on the day of the signing, he just posted a still shot from The Godfather, and it was of Michael Corleone at the funeral when he knew he had been betrayed. Remember when they told him, whoever comes to you at the funeral will be the guy who's betraying you? Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, he's sitting at the funeral with that look on his face because he's just seen that it's um, – it's it's not Bar- it's not Barzini to tell you Clemenza. I'm sorry, I'm dropping the ball. My God, it's not Clemenza. Here. It's the guy, Ooh. the guy that Ib, uh, what's his Tessio. name? Tessio. Tessio. Oh, oh. Ib Begoda yes, plays. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Tessio. Oh, and he says, "Can you get me off the hook, Michael, for old times' sake?" He says to Tom Hagen, "Can you get me off the hook, Tommy, for old times' sake?" But anyway, I don't know if LeBron was just posting that photo of Michael Corleone because he loves the movie so much, or if he was just saying that basically he was watching the Kevin Durant news like Michael Corleone at the funeral, <laughs> quietly plotting his revenge. Because uh, Michael's <laughs> plotting the he's plotting the five assassinations there during the baptism. Remember that? And, yeah. uh, so Moe that's Green. what LeBron's uh, reaction you listen, You don't need to tell guys. me, Brian. Don't worry about me. What's that? You're Mo Green. You don't need to t- talk to me about Mo Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, yeah, LeBron. Well, listen, we got great theater now. Yeah. I just feel sorry for the other 28 teams. I mean, right now there's two teams in the league. There's Cleveland and there's the Warriors. And then San Antonio, maybe they just signed Pau Gasol. But, hey, if the Warriors thought there was pressure to win a championship after 73 wins, how much pressure is there going to be to win a championship with Kevin Durant? And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they fill out their roster. It's going to be interesting to see how they they rebound and defend, you know, because one thing that kind of got them a little bit during the Oklahoma City series and the Cleveland series was there were some bigs grabbing rebounds. Steven Adams of Oklahoma City and Tristan Thompson of Cleveland gave them trouble down low. And, you know, is this uh, Zaza Pachulia signing enough? Is this other guy, David West, an old veteran? He's a good player, too, but he's 36 years old. He signed. Now all certain players are lining up to come play with the Warriors. 40-year-old Ray Allen, who had been one of LeBron's teammates in Miami and one of uh, Kevin Garnett's teammates in Boston, he's making noise about coming out of retirement to come play for the Warriors. So they're lining up outside the uh, the record store waiting for the album release, you know, and uh, all these players are are wanting to be a part of it. It's just going to be amazing. And the next step is to hear what Kevin Durant has to say when he has his press conference to explain why he would make such a historic move. Brian, it's been amazing catching up with you. I'm sure you were cheering as loud as the rest of us when Robbie Brady headed that ball in against the Italians. It was spectacular, boys. It was yeah. so great. You guys did yourselves so proud and so well. And it's just unfortunate. France, I guess France were the better side. In that, uh, in that round of 16 match, unfortunately. But boy, oh boy, did they give you guys a, a, a fun month or what? Huh? Bring on 2018 qualifying, right? World Cup, here we go. Oh yeah, absolutely. Russia, just the country everybody wants to go and visit in two years' time. Listen, <laughs> U.S. Murph. Donald Trump, President Trump will go hang out with his good buddy Vlad Putin. Yeah, yeah, tell each other how great they are the whole time. As the, they'll, they'll strip as the off world. each other's shirts and compare packs, right? <laughs> yeah. so there you go. I'm backing right, Putin guys. in that one. Thanks, Brian. All the best. Take care.
just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach. and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby and you cannot call him a player a baby. Yeah, I, just to be clear, I am backing Putin in a peck off with Donald Trump if it ever... If, if it ever, ever gets to it. then God knows. Probably in better shape. Would one of them turkey tap the other one, Murph, just to show them the <laughs> who's boss here? Uh, well, uh, Donald's tiny little hands probably wouldn't be able to do the course, trick, to be honest. Of course. But uh, I'd say We're going to is... win so much. We are yeah. going to win so much. He is uh, a judo. He's a judo. A judoka. Do you say judoka for, for yeah, men Putin. and women? Yeah, Putin. Yeah, not Trump. Trump plays golf. <laughs> yeah. No, I think if, if anyone's turkey tapping, it's uh, Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. The time Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now, so let's find out what's in it. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, you now. Come down to Anfield and we'll see them. What are you doing down here, you surely man? <laughs> well, we talked a bit about uh, Wales, the end of the dream for Wales with Chris Whiten. Uh, one of the top Welsh journalists and the author of a book on their, the rise of this golden generation of Welsh players. Uh, we also talked a bit Raphael Hanerstein, who uh, was going to head to the semi-final tonight, France against Germany. And Richie was in to talk to us about Cristiano Ronaldo. I feel a little bit annoyed about this. Actually, I want to go back to this. You can't, you can't continue a debate when the person you're debating with is not in studio anymore. Yeah, Sorry. but it's not a debate about whether Ronaldo is good or not. I mean, obviously he's good. Well, I don't think anyone is debating that. No, no, no one is debating that. I want to put that out there. No one is. It's not about like Ronaldo's not getting his his due. He gets he gets plenty of credit. It's about you know his his behavior, other aspects of his behavior. Mm-hmm. Whether you know whether it's legitimate to laugh at this man, or whether we almost literally bow down before this guy and say, "Wow, he scored again! He scored a header from a corner. We have to bow down. He's the greatest of all time." You know, it's. Anyone who anyone who who you know suggests that maybe a man who's able to stare at him his own reflection might you know while he's actually celebrating that goal might be a bit narcissistic to a to a to a mockable degree <laughs> yeah. is just is is like you know just spewing bitterness just can't take you know he, he's too beautiful for them no actually I do think it's a I do think it's a slightly ridiculous degree of narcissism I do think that it's it's worth pointing out and I don't think that pointing it out is uh, you know, in some in some way reprehensible or You've got me from back. a dark place. You've got me back on the subject, Ken. Mm. I was, I'm thinking about it again. 
what was most remarkable about that celebration was not so much that you're saying he looked as he's running or wheeling away he's looking at the camera it's it? when he was running towards the corner flag where he slid into the yeah. lying on his back I'm sorry is he not looking back at his teammates there no he's looking up into the corner where the also oh, it's the other screen in the stadium in Lyon the one there's on a couple the, of screens there's, yeah. there's, there's a couple of screens uh, one in each one in each corner diagonally yeah, but would if you were sliding towards that corner, would you not be looking up at the... What I'm saying is, I don't think that you can say for definite that he's looking at the screen, that he could just be looking at the huge banks of supporters in the corner that he's sliding towards. Uh, but the supporters are on the other side, aren't they? The big the banks of fans are on the other side. Oh, yeah, but I mean, maybe he's looking at Welsh fans. And, like, the, you, or the you port- look at- No, that's... We all know what he was looking at. What I was no, going to say I, was... No, when he, I don't think that we do. Well, okay. Cristiano I mean, Ronaldo I, runs, runs into the corner and has his eyes fixed at a point exactly where I know the screen to be. Exactly. Come on, Ken. I mean, he's oh, well, looking okay. up he could, the, he could have been looking up to a family member who was standing just beside the big screen. I wouldn't outrule that possibility. That could have happened. That, that, may, have been, that may even have been what happened. You know? See, I, I don't, see, the TV screen thing is interesting to me, right? Because, okay... He looks up at the TV screen all the time, right? Yeah. But then I think there, there are other players also do this. Like defenders who have made a terrible error look up. Or you, if, you know, if the camera pans to them after their terrible error, the t- other team is supporting, the defender is often looking up at the big screen to say, right, that, it seems like I've done a terrible thing here. Mm. Am I correct? I'm, uh, he's going to look up at the screen and he's going to... Right, okay, that's what I did wrong there. That's horrible. Like the Belgian defenders after Robson County's goal, they were all just like staring up at the screen. Oh my God, what have we done? Are we doing? Are we doing um, so, I mean, I think that like people do actually do that. Yeah. You know, I, I, they, uh, obviously not to the extent that... In a moment of abandon. Yeah. To still to keep your eyes on the prize. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. But you, you were going to say... I was going to make the point that once he had slid mm-hmm. and was la- laying on his back, what I find remarkable there is He's being enveloped by his teammates. Could you imagine that feeling? Imagine being scoring this amazing goal for your country and your team loving you so much that they come over and they almost crush you with their excitement. The exhilaration you'd be feeling at that moment. I kind of think Ronaldo mightn't even notice that his teammates are there at that stage. He's still, he's just thinking about his next, he's kind of lying almost limp, just sort of on the ground, waiting for them to get off so that he can then get up and just before the camera pans away, do his... Well, I don't want you, I want you to describe that as, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a thing that he always does. Like, it? it's just, again, it's an it's his amazing tunnel vision that I think he can he manage to detach himself from the emotions of 10 other men jumping just, all over just him celebrating. as these carbon blobs are out of the way, then I can get up and do my... Huh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was similar similar scene in the Champions League final, you know, when he scored the penalty and he did the same thing of, of sliding and then lying on his back and sort of all the, all the supplicants came and sort of you know, kiss and rub themselves against his garment uh, and touch the hem of his garment. And then and then they got bored and walked away to continue with their own lives. And Ronaldo was still lying there in that position with just Pepe, loyal Pepe, uh, still there. Uh, and it's just, I mean, I, I, find be, it, yeah. I find it funny. Like, I, I think, I, I think that it's a, it's a, I think Ronaldo is distracted a lot by, by false things. I think he worships false idols. I think he's driven by like a, a quest towards a pointless goal of like self. He, he's almost like self worship. It's almost like the rest of the world actually doesn't matter. Maybe he can, 
maybe he can actually just disappear into that loop of looking of of, of pure narcissism. Maybe it is, but I do find I, I find it ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I don't think it comes from a bitter place. I find it laughable and absurd. You don't think you're a twat, as Richie referred to people who get bothered by him looking at the big screen. I don't think so. I think I'm not a twat. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, narcissism at play again. Uh, another Euros podcast will be out tomorrow. I should mention that. I don't think I mentioned it. Uh, lack of uh, pre-promotion earlier on. So, yeah, tomorrow Friday we'll look back on France beating Germany because that was the prediction of all of us, including Richie. We all went for France, which was somewhat surprising. So that will be out for you on uh, on Friday as early as possible. Let's talk Wimbledon. Amazing stuff by Federer and Murray yesterday, both fighting through in five setters. Federer... Had to say three match points against Marin Tillich and Murray had his own troubles against Joe Wilfred Songa. Now they're on opposite sides of the draw, so both are one match away from a potential final against each other. Jonathan Liu, sports writer with The Telegraph, has been watching this keenly. Jonathan, I have to say most of my tiny little brain had its uh, focus on the Euros for the last few weeks, so it's taken a while for me to get my head around Wimbledon, but I was watching yesterday and I mean, that makes, must be one of the great Wimbledon days. I think so. I, and I think certainly with the Euros and or whether it was the fact that maybe there hasn't been a great game in this tournament so far until yesterday, at least, it, it really took a while for Wimbledon to, to get going on both the men's and the women's side. But yeah, uh, Federer beating Chilich in five sets, uh, Murray beating Songer in five sets. It, it will go down as, as one of the great quarterfinal days, certainly. Federer, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I suppose quarterfinals are usually, I mean, I don't know how many of them are ever necessarily remembered. So to have two classics like that in the same day was something else. I, I think, I suppose Murray's probably known for his grit anyway, but Federer, maybe because of his style of play and just how how serene a figure he's looked over the years and how stylishly he plays the game. Th- this side of it might be overlooked, the fact that he can get himself into a hole as he did yesterday and save a number of match points and just grind his way to a win. Exactly. I mean, he, he's, I think, come back from two sets down more than any other any other player, certainly in recent memory. Um, but I, I suppose when he was dominant in the game coming back from two sets down even felt kind of inevitable and and I suppose yesterday against Chilich was was different in that it really did look as though he, he was going to lose I mean I remember he saying he was saying afterwards that it, he had three match points but it felt like every point was a match point he was I think love 40 down at three all in the in the third set there were match points in the fourth set and it, it looked like Chilich would actually looked like the better player than him for about two and a half sets um and and the fact that he, he still managed to brazen it out uh i think he even at the age of 35 showed something that he, he maybe hadn't shown before or he, he still kind of has this ability to confound people what ha, what level is he at now compared to the roger federer what percentage of prime roger federer have we got left here in 2016 i think probably about 97 98 percent he's that possibly, close is he possibly even 100 percent uh really his decline hasn't been physical it certainly hasn't really been mental uh what what i think we've seen is that players like Djokovic are now probably playing at i don't know 104 105% of what peak federer was he he doesn't seem to have gone backwards at all it's just that in order to to maintain the 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 winning run that, that he's had he's he's had to raise his game beyond probably where it was at his peak. That, I mean, that, that's my view personally, but he certainly, there's his forehand and his backhand are, are no less powerful. His serve is no less potent. And he doesn't, as we saw yesterday, he doesn't seem to have, have declined, uh, you know, psychologically in any way. So uh, I think he's still pretty much there. Murray was looking, well, he was looking um, very Andy Murray-like in the fifth set. His body language was... Uh, quite interesting. He seems to be looking at uh, uh, Ivan Lendl in his coaching box, kind of, you know, giving it this... I'm, there's no way I'm going to get beaten here kind of uh, kind of a vibe 
Yeah, there are certain players that, uh, in, in the same way that he has a, a mental block against, against players like Djokovic and Federer, there are certain players who you, you kind of feel that he doesn't let them beat him. Nick Kyrgios is certainly one in, in, in the fourth round. He just says, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. And even when Songa kind of uh, was tussling with him in the first set and, and coming back to, to win the fourth set, um, yeah, there, there, was, there was this kind of... Uh, I don't know, a certitude from, from Murray, uh, especially when, you know, like you say, he was looking at his box and, and the, the crowd got behind him. And, and there's this kind of, there's this surge that you feel that only the very, very best players are going to be able to, to counteract. And, and Songa, I think, was just kind of swept away at the end. Lendl, Murray did brilliantly under Lendl last time and then moved on and he's had Moresmo's coach and all the rest of it. He's back with, with Lendl now. That player coach dynamic is a strange one. Federer has had long stages in his career without being coached by anybody, as far as I know. It's kind of a funny one. It seems like a players struggle to stick often with the same coach for more than a few years, even if they're successful. Maybe himself and Lendl just needed that break, uh, probably because they're two intense enough characters. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's like you say, the, the, the dynamic is, is, is it, it changes over time. And I think the, the, the point of a coach and the whole idea of a coach is you need somebody with the authority to tell this excellent, you know, garlanded player what, what to do, to tell them that they're having a bad day or not to do something. And the longer you go on in a relationship like that and the more comfortable you get, the harder that, that becomes paradoxically, which is why you find so few uh, long-term coaching relationships. I can't think of many players who have been with a coach for more than sort of six or seven years. It's, it's almost kind of like a shock treatment. And that's certainly what Lendl was to Murray uh, in, in the early days, you know, 2012 2013 it's why it never quite worked with Moresmo because I felt Moresmo never quite had the, had the upper hand in that relationship enough to to be able to do more than counsel Murray um Lendl certainly has that authority and you know we wait to see how it works but uh there, there was there was some statistic that under Lendl Murray's forehand was about five or ten miles an hour faster off the ground than right. uh, uh than it was under, under Moresmo and and whether that's psychological, whether that's technical, I don't know, but it, there's, there's certainly a measurable effect there. That's interesting, Jonathan, that you say you felt Moresmo never maybe fully had the authority or the upper hand because it was quite a heartwarming story that one of the leading men's players brought a female coach on board and spoke very eloquently about uh, why he feels there's no reason that he couldn't be coached by a woman, but it, it didn't quite work. Uh, it didn't, you, you don't feel she quite had the authority over him? Yeah, I, I think it was, a, it, was a, it was an appointment that Murray didn't have to make and I think that always gave him uh, a certain element of control over the relationship, over the whole arrangement, which maybe is not ideal when you need somebody to to essentially be your boss. Uh, that that's what makes it strange. You're essentially hiring your boss, and there there always needs to be that that element of giving up control. Um, and whether you know for, the the PR was obviously great, and Marismo is, is, is a you know fantastic coach. You know she she knows everything there is to know about tennis. But in terms of the dynamic between them, maybe the the way that it happened, uh, you know, kind of almost springing a surprise on on the world, gave the relationship a, a slightly a slightly strange tenor. I mean, I, I, that that's kind of just me. That's just my theory, but sure. I, it certainly seemed like that from from the outside. Uh, it certainly looks like he has, he has a bit of steel there with Lendl anyway. Um, now they've both got this strange pressure on them now with Djokovic not around Federer and Murray we're all looking forward to a Federer-Murray final I think a lot of the a lot of the sports loving public will be who's more likely to handle that pressure or be bowed by it in their semi-finals do you think? 
Uh, well, Federer certainly has the hardest semi-final, uh, if you ask me. I, I, famous last words, I guess. But I think Murray has the measure of Thomas Burdick. Uh, he's, he's beaten him uh, at the Australian Open semi-final. He's beaten him at Wimbledon. Um, and I, I think he's, uh, in terms of styles, that's a, a slightly better matchup than Federer against Raonic. And, and although Federer has beaten Raonic quite a few times, this this is a player who's who's improving, who has kind of grown into the tournament, who's shown like, a lot of different sides of him during during this Wimbledon, in terms of coming back from behind, you know, going from the front. Uh, Murray, I think, is is actually quite a comfortable favourite. He's 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 all right when he's when he's expected to win. Uh, if you look at the number of times he's won Queens, or, or for, for example, he's he's quite happy being the number one guy. So I don't think that will phase him that much. And, and I think Federer's. He's got the he's got the harder semi final. I, I still expect him to come through, maybe in four or five. Um, but I mean, if you're looking for a favourite for me, I think it's I think Murray just has the edge over Federer at the moment. All right, Jonathan Liu, always good to talk. Thanks, Emil. Cheers. I was really surprised at that answer that Jonathan gave. He feels Federer hasn't dropped at all, possibly one or two percent or three percent. But there's an argument that he's still as good as he was six seven years ago. Just that everybody else has caught up. Well, more than caught up in the case of Djokovic and Nadal up until recently. Um, a quote from Federer, I've heard retirement talks since 2009 when I won the French Open and people were like, what else are you playing for? I'm like, what's wrong with you people? Don't you understand that playing tennis is great fun? I don't need to win three slams a year to be content. If the body doesn't want to do it, if the mind doesn't want to do it, if my wife doesn't want me to do it, if my kids don't like it, I'll stop tomorrow. Zero problem. But I love tennis in such a big way that I don't care if I don't win so much anymore. Which is fair enough. I love the lack of caring about his legacy that that quote suggests. So many sports people are obsessed with leg. You know, say the Tiger Woods argument that's raised over the last couple of years. Is he damaging his legacy mm. by coming back? Um, I think Tiger cares very deeply about his legacy. I think that's a major uh, thing in his head. Obviously, with Federer, and I would actually believe that. I mean, that's the sort of statement that you would make that that you would make only if you actually believed every word of what you were saying. I don't know if it means that he doesn't care about his legacy, more that he... He's fine he, with he, his legacy. Yeah, exactly. The it's, legacy he, is not just about what, winning what titles, done. but also to be a, a symbol of sportsmanship, of love of the game. Well, even if it is just about winning titles, he's won enough of them, he might feel, even though Djokovic... Yeah, but I mean, the point that Murphy's making is that if, you know, legacy in this sense would be like Roger Federer, that guy who used to, like, turn up at Wimbledon and sort of, you know, get beaten in the third round... You know what I mean? Mm. As like people, there there would be people growing up who would think of him like that. Yeah, I don't think he's going to like, that far. Was it Ilya Nastasi or whatever? Hey, like these these kind of players who would turn up at Wimbledon all stubbly and kind of out of shape and just kind of lose a game, and then and the whole crowd would erupt and you'd be like, "Why does the crowd love this guy so much?" And you, yeah. only later you'd realize, "Oh, he's been doing these like Jimmy Connors or whatever." Towards the end, where he became this parodic figure, you know, like oh, clowning around for the crowd and getting knocked out immediately, and everyone was like, "Oh, Jimmy, you know, it's great to see you again." I'd be like, "Who is this guy? Yeah, what's this, what is this? What, what age is this guy? Like thirty-eight or something crazy like that? Like, what is he still doing playing sport?" You're an embarrassment, Jimmy Connors. That's what I was thinking, but um, I was, you know, I was wrong. For, I mean, if 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 it's not, I mean, Tiger Woods is always just about winning. It's a bit kind of Jose Mourinho, like you know, if you're not winning, then it doesn't count. Ferrer's like, no, actually, I just love this sport, <laughs> I love this game, and I try to be somebody who. I mean, everybody seems to love Federer. Yeah, he's never really given anyone any reason to dislike him, other than like his sheer perfection. You know, his his sheer untouchable perfection and beauty. (laughs) 
Now, I do think there is there are people who dislike that, and probably they are. That is coming from a place of bitterness. That's just pure anti antiness. You know, it's like Ugh, Federer. His perfection, so di- perfect. His perfection disgusts me. Oh, look, it's Mister Perfect again. But like, he is an, an icon of sportsmanship, of humility, of doing everything the right way. You know, if if you don't like that, then turn off your station. Murph, Monday's podcast is going to f- heavily feature this week's GA. Yeah, and a big weekend of GA it is too. Uh, Connacht football final, of course, the the main event. Oh, and I don't need to tell you. Goal against Roscommon in uh, Goal. Uh, confidence building. Or at least I thought confidence was building in uh, Goal. I rang my brother yet, uh, last night just for a chat. How do you think we're going to go anyway? I think we'll get beaten by 10 points, says Paul. <laughs> for no reason other than... Ah, Sheer miserable. Just being... I actually had to hang up the phone on him. He was being that miserable about it. I mean, what have we found out, really? We beat Mayo. But really, you know, who cares? And I, I was sitting beside the man, crying tears of happiness in Castle Bear not three weeks ago. But there you go. Yep. Some people are just impossible to please. Uh, the Munster Hurling final is on at uh, 4pm. Waterford against Kilkenny. Sweet. Waterford against Kilkenny. Waterford against Tipperary. Oh yeah, of course. And then there's also a world of qualifiers. Derry against Meath. Limerick against Cork. Uh, there's two more hurling qualifiers. Mayo are back in action against Fermanagh. Uh, the hurling quali- uh, the hurling round three of the qualifiers, whatever the hell it is, Cork against Wexford, Clare against Limerick. So there's actually a ton of big games on. Brilliant stuff. Uh, reminder, we'll have a quick hit of a Euros podcast tomorrow to have a look back at the second semi-final and to preview Sunday's final. In the meantime, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, thanks so much for listening. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home.